Uh, welcome to the Edge Church, everyone. Uh, my name is Steve Anden, and I'm one of the pastors here. Um, if you're new this morning, really glad to have you. Uh, we are right now in the middle of our 2019 series that we are calling The Reset. Um, this is a series that we are digging into the great commandment and the great commission from Jesus where he tells us to love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength to love one another and to go and make disciples and so currently we are in the middle of talking about loving God with all of our strength and if you remember as we started this our strength being um, that which God has given to us that that our strength is stewarding what God has put in our hands and uh, if you were here last week Pastor Neil gave a message on one of the great gifts that God has given to us, and that's our moms and the women that he has placed in our lives. And he talked about strength in motherhood. This morning, we are going to be talking about loving God with our resources. Somebody shout, give me a shout out, resources, finances, yeah. Everybody's favorite topic, yeah. Okay, um, but I'm really, really excited for us because of uh, who's going to be sharing with us this morning. And so we have the privilege this morning of hearing from our uh, good brother, Tim Kaiser, um, this morning. Yeah, so if you didn't know this about Tim, let me, let me brag on Tim just for a second. Okay, um, Tim has been a church planter. Uh, Tim has been a professor of personal and business finance at Cornerstone University. Tim is a, a, a vice president of business development for a Fortune 100 company. He's also a Dave Ramsey certified financial coach, and he's also the author of this book, The Profit Dare, Winning at Wealth Without Losing Your Soul. So could you guys please welcome Tim Kaiser as he comes this morning to bring us the word, Tim. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right, people tend to, get, tend to get funny when you talk about money, right? So I'm going to read a little story to you to kind of like parallel and illustrate, illustrate something about money. So there was a young seminarian, just graduated his seminary class, and he was interviewing for his first job as a staff pastor. And uh, they asked a question to the young man. They said, explain to us this parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan. That was the question, open-ended. He's all right. Once there was this man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thorns. And the thorns sprung up and choked him. And as as he went on, he didn't have any money, and he met the queen of Sheba. She gave him a thousand talents of gold and a hundred changes of clothing. And he got into the chariot and drove furiously. And when he was driving under a big juniper tree, his hair caught in a limb of that tree, and he hung there many days. And the ravens brought him food to eat and water to drink, and he ate 5,000 loaves of bread and two fishes. One night when he was hanging there asleep, his wife Delilah came along and cut off his hair. And he dropped and he fell on stony ground. But he got up and went on. And, and it began to rain and it rained 40 days and 40 nights. And he hid himself in a cave and he lived on locusts and wild honey. Then he went on till he met a servant who said, come, take supper at my house. And he made an excuse and said, no, I won't. I have married a wife and I cannot go. And the servant went out in the highways and the hedges and compelled him to come in. After supper, he went on and came down to Jericho. And when he got there, he looked up and saw an old queen Jezebel sitting down, sitting, sitting up high in a window, and she laughed at him, and he said, throw her down. 
and they threw her down. He said, throw her down again, and they threw her down again. And they threw her down 70 times 7, and of the fragments, and of the fragments that remained, they picked up 12 baskets full, besides women and children. And they said, blessed are the peace, P-I-E-C-E, makers. Now whose wife do you think she'll be in the judgment day? And the pastoral staff was silent. Obviously, some people think that story's funny. Some people have no idea why it would be funny. Uh, some people are just totally confused. That's okay. Often when we talk about money, people have a million different views. You have extremes, total extremes in the body of Christ when it comes to money. So today, I'm going to speak about stewardship, loving God with our strength. And I'm going to cover several areas, and all I want to do is inspire and encourage, bring clarity. Everything I say will be lined up by Scripture. Obviously, everyone has blind spots. We don't know them because they're blind spots. But I've studied this. I've lived this for many years. And, and, and I believe that finances is often a stumbling block in the body of Christ. And people, there's somebody here right now inevitably thinks stewardship is a Dutch word that means give me all your money. It doesn't. It's much more vast than that one area of giving. So we're going to cover several areas today, all right? So as Steve said, our, our, our reset scripture is Mark 12, 29 through 31, where, where the, 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 the young man asked Jesus, and he says, the most important thing is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We're, ta- we're focusing on strength, but money touches all those things, Right? And we we are stewards. Everything God's given to us is a gift, and he expects us to steward those resources and everything we have. So my foundation foundation scripture is Luke 16. It's a parable of the unjust steward, and and we're going to read just verses 1 and 2 through the Passion Translation, which it says basically the same thing, but I love the way it words it in its simplicity. Uh, the, the parable of the unjust steward is kind of odd. You, you might think Jesus is giving, encouraging someone to act with, with disobedience and, 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 and crazy things, but it's not. So in, the, in this parable, the first two verses, it says, there was once a very rich man who hired a servant, hired a manager to run his business and oversee all his wealth. But soon a rumor spread that the manager was wasting his master's money. So the master called him in and said, is it true that you are mismanaging my estate? You need to provide me with the complete audit of everything you oversee for me. I've decided to dismiss you. I was reading that scripture one time, not out of the passion, just reading it. And and has anybody ever had an IRS scare before? I can't see everybody. I'm probably a hand or two up. I had an IRS scare when I was in the Navy way, way back in the, in the 90s. And to this day, whenever I see anything in the mail come from the IRS, the heart starts going, da, 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 da. oh, no, what happened? And I was reading that scripture one day, and I thought, am I more concerned with the IRS thinks about my money than what God thinks about my money? And I had to answer the question honestly. And, and I was being very pharisaical that day and being very self-righteous that day, and I thought, I handle my money pretty well. I run a pretty tight ship. But I thought, if I let Jesus into every single area of my finances, could I stand face-to-face with him and say, I'm confident this audit's going to go well? And I thought, there has to be an area that I'm missing something on, right? So, so I mentioned being in the Navy. So the Navy, the whole job of the Navy is what? 
military is what? It's the ultimate job. Anybody in the military is to go to war, right? But you spend all your time training for that. And then you might have a test or an audit. And sometimes people just want to pass tests. That's a great thing. But really it finds, it gives you an opportunity to see deficiencies. So we would go in the Navy, we'd spend like three or four days in Cuba and Gitmo and just do testing and just anything you could think of that might happen in a warfare engagement, they would test you with it to see because you know what, once the bullets start flying, guess it's too late to go to school. It's too late to try it again. You have, you can, okay, I, I didn't do this right. Let's correct my behavior. And that way, when the stuff really starts hitting the fan, I'll be fine. Because I remember I was, in the Pers- I was in the South China Sea back in 1990. The 1990 is a while ago. August 2nd, 1990, when the first Persian Gulf War happened. And all of a sudden, it's like, you can't go to Australia. You're going to the Persian Gulf. And there are people there who says, I didn't sign up for this. I signed up for the college money. Guess what? Training was over at that point. You do not pass go. You go straight and do what they say. And then you just believe and trust that all your training paid off. So today what we're going to do is just take an opportunity, spend a few minutes, and say, if this happened, would I be confident? And if the answer is no, guess what? There's time to fix things. There's time to make corrections. Because the truth is, we're called to faithfulness, right? 1 Corinthians 4.2 says, it's required of a steward to be found faithful. Not fabulous, not fantastic, not charismatic, not awesome, faithful. And that word faithful is a strong word. And, and I say, if you, if you really want to know what the word faithful means, ask a wife. Because sometimes people say, well, he was unfaithful, she was unfaithful. It goes deeper than that. It goes deeper than that, right? There's faithfulness. God wants us to be faithful of what he's given us. And we all, this may not be a very popular scripture, but we all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of the things done in the body, whether good or bad. That's not heaven or hell issue. That's not the great white throne judgment. That's like, did we do what God wanted us to do? And it's like, I used to think, well, you know, if I get past the gates, it can't be that bad, right? (laughs) How bad can it be, right? Once you're in heaven, it's still pretty much heaven. But then as I got older and started, God started revealing himself more to me, I started realizing that would I want to see just disappointment in his eye? And that just break my heart to know that I could have done something with what God called me to do, but I didn't do it with all my effort, all my strength, all my might, all my mind, right? So yeah, I might get past that gate and be in heaven, but I just want that moment when he's, when he's passing out the rewards or the judgments, I want him to look at me and, and all I want to hear is a couple things. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's all I want to hear, right? Can we get into this? All right. So we're talking about money. So we have, we have a few areas that we're going to talk about. First is our earning, money getting money in, right? Once you get money in, then you get to say what you're going to do with it. You can spend it. We are really good at spending money in this country. I'm not saying we're doing it right, but we can really spend. We can do some retail damage like nobody's business. So you get money, you spend money. And if you don't spend it all, then you can do other stuff with it too, right? You can save it, you can invest it, you can give it, right? 
That's what we're going to talk about today. So God has, God is totally just with what he does in our lives. In Deuteronomy, Moses is writing, and he, he wrote in, in Deuteronomy 8.18, he says, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant. So God has given us the empowerment, the strength, the ability to, to, to create, to make money. Now, I'm old enough to realize that it used to be you had to actually have a job to make money. I mean, you had to go somewhere to make money. Did you know you can, like, put a video on YouTube and take your dog through a, a, a car wash and post it and people will watch it and someone will pay you? I, I was like, this is the craziest thing. She goes, this lady's like, I took my dog through a car wash, watch it on YouTube. And I was like, that's the stupidest thing ever. And I looked down, and it was like three and a half million people looked at it. And it's like for every thousand views you get, you make a little bit of money. I'm thinking, she probably made 11,000 bucks on that. That's crazy. You can make money now in ways that just weren't, wasn't possible 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago. But God has given us the power to get wealth, right? But he, that, that's one thing. That's, that's, the, that's the revenue side. If you're a business owner, that's the revenue side. Isaiah tells us in 48, 17 that he says he will teach us to profit. So you can make a lot of money and still be broke. Well, a lot of businesses have a lot of revenue and they don't make any money, Right? And I, and I think my first point in the, in, the, in, in the notes is that backing up a trailer is challenging. I, I just can't imagine. I, we, we do, at 7 o'clock every Sunday morning, there's a team who comes in and is set up, un, unloads, a, unloads a trailer full of stuff. And I look at this trailer, it's like 26 feet long, and I'm thinking, how in the world does someone back that thing up? And I'm thinking, well, God has given me the power to get wealth. I, technically, theoretically, I have a driver's license. I can even drive a stick shift. I learned how to drive with a stick shift. So I'm, I'm, you know, like, I divided the crowd right there, right? I can even drive a stick shift. I remember living in Philadelphia, and I was in the Navy, and, and I had, like, the old little S, S10 pickup truck, and before travel mugs were popular, I could be in the traffic in Philadelphia, shifting my thing with a cup of coffee with no lid on it, and have no problem at all. They go, yeah, man, whoo. <laughs> Yeah, so, so the power, right? I have, I have a driver's license. I'm legal. I could do it, but I, could, I couldn't do it. I'd be like, you'd be like, where's all the stuff at? Like, I don't know. This guy's just going back and forth. And, and he just pulled up the front and said, you know, the, 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 the deck is closed. You can't do it that way because he just drove and just parked it there. But someone could teach me, right? But I don't want to learn, so we're not going to do that. I'm too old now. But, but in God, God, God gives us the power to get wealth, but he also will teach us to profit. And again, Isaiah, in the 30th chapter and the 31st chapter, the first couple of verses of each chapter, he, he's like, woe to the disobedient, rebellious children. They go to Egypt and Pharaoh, and they don't ask me my opinion. So a lot of times, in the, even in the church or Christians, we're, we're, we're expecting Wall Street to teach us. When if you read the book of Proverbs, there's a ton of stuff about money in Proverbs. And it's not all about just taking your money from you and giving it, right? There's a ton of stuff in there. But, but it takes work, right? You can make money, but then what are you going to do with the money? God's going to teach us, right? All right. Let's talk about earning. There, there, everyone's on a different spectrum here. There's two people in this room. There's one person in this room right now 
who makes the most money. And there's one person who makes the least amount of money. The rest of us are somewhere in that bell curve in the middle, right? But sometimes it's hard for people to actually think they deserve more money. People sometimes feel unworthy. But you just don't know who I am. And I think, you know, you're right, I, I don't. And I, and I think about it because, you know, I, everyone has stories of their family and, and people who just maybe don't grasp the significance of what God's done in our life. And I was reading in Psalm 8 where it says, the psalmist is like, when I consider the heavens, the stars and the moon, the planets, the galaxies, all the galaxies. And it's so crazy because the stars are awesome. The oceans are awesome. They're all different. Every landmass is different. There's planets we've never even seen before. There's galaxies that we've never even heard of before. When I consider that, I wonder what is man that you're mindful of him? Mindful, God, mindful of us. What is the son of man that you visit him? And the scripture says, you made him a little lower than Elohim. That makes a lot of people nervous. If angels makes you feel more better, that's what that's, makes you feel better, that's fine. Say angels. But angels are pretty awesome too, right? I mean, if Michael or Gabriel showed up, we'd all fall down and say, they'd have to say one thing, don't be afraid. That's what they always say, don't be afraid. But even if God made you a little lower than the angels, surely you can go from eight bucks to ten bucks an hour, right? <laughs> Does it somebody and your work make a little more than that? Because you know what? Your shovel size is crucial. The shovel size is crucial. Well, we'll get to the point where it's not all about making money because you have to do something once you get it. But sometimes people are very challenged even making money. And they feel, gu- they feel guilty. They feel unworthy. Some people are, some people are they, they're intimidated. I, I couldn't talk to the president of my company, or I couldn't talk to whatever it is. But, but Timothy tells us that God has not given us a spirit of intimidation, but a spirit of power and of love and a sound mind. Now, fear is a good thing, right? I have a shark phobia, a legit shark phobia. And so there's a reason, because sharks can kill you. Right? I asked my kids, we go to the ocean. One day, my daughter and I were at Virginia Beach, and they were like fins in the water. I ain't getting in the water. They get dolphins. I don't care. I'm a Jaws generation kid. I saw Jaws in the theater, and it wrecked me. So there is a legit fear, right? Bullets start flying. You, you're, you, it's the, flight, the, the, the fight or flight response. But not a, applying for a job because you're afraid is not God. Oh, you would, just, you would be shocked how many jobs I applied for and didn't get. I apply for, that doesn't matter to me. I just apply. I don't care. I, I do. I just, it doesn't matter. Why, 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 what? And you walk in there, you have an interview. It goes good, it goes well. Or it goes well, it goes bad. Who cares? You know? You don't take a shot, you're going to miss it. Right? Intimidation is a thing that sometimes stops us. The big one is victimhood, though. This world is tough. I'm surprised that we love it so much because it's so, it's so tough sometimes. That we're so attached to it. 
But a lot of times we're like, I, I just can't because I'm a, I'm a victim of a certain situation. The truth is we've all been victimized, some more than the other. But it's going to be a choice whether we receive or choose to be a victim or not. Joseph, yeah, people say, well, Joseph, was, he was full of pride. He deserved to go into pit. Really? <laughs> Come on, his brother's still in the pit. But Joseph was, a, Joseph was victimized. Joseph told a dream. His brothers hated him. They act like he got killed, threw him in a pit, sold him as a slave. He went to Potiphar's house. He was excelling in Potiphar's house, got accused of rape, wrong accusation, got thrown into the prison. People in the prison forgot about him. He went from the pit to Potiphar's house to prison to prime minister. But there's, you can't find a scripture in the Bible that says Joseph complained his way out of prison, sucked his thumb. The Bible says this in Psalm 105, that until his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. It tried him. What was his word? He saw everyone bowing down to him. That was his promise from God. But until that happened, the word of the Lord tested him. It's tough. Mike, Micah tells us this. He's like, he's like uh, my enemy, don't rejoice over me when I fall because I will get back up again. Micah 7, 8, right? Paraphrase. We were, people who, who were old enough remember Mike Tyson was the, was the most vicious boxer to come on the scene. And he had a famous phrase, is everyone has a plan to get punched in the mouth. I'll take him, bam! I mean, he's seven, eight second knockouts. You should watch it, it's the craziest thing. A lot of times we fall and we get back up again. Sometimes you go down for the count though. Sometimes there's no way. It's just something. Too much happened, and you can't get back up again. And Mikey has a statement for that, too. He says, when I sit in the darkness, God will be a light to me. Because there will be a time when something knocks you down, and you just you don't have the strength. You just sit there. Guess what? God can handle it. He can handle the tough questions. He can handle the what's, the why's. He can handle it. He says, he says, you must come to God. You must believe that he is, and he's a reward of those who diligently seek him. That word seek is not going, oh, God, I worship you. It's, it's us getting in God's face and saying, I need answers. The, the, the word is a quest. Seek, it's a quest. It's, it's to question, it's to inquire, to require God. God. He's, 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 he's big enough, he's tough enough, he's strong enough to handle it, right? Amen. Stuff's gonna happen. J J Jesus told us, he said, in this world you will have tribulation, you will have stress, you will have pr pressure, it's gonna happen. Then he says, be a good cheer, overcome the world. I'm like, well, how about you just make the stuff go away? He said, be, a, be a good cheer, I overcame the world. Like, you know, no, come on. Or, or he talked to Peter one time. It was getting close to the crucifixion. He goes, Simon. He didn't call him Peter. Whenever Jesus was kind of correcting Simon, Peter, he called him Simon. He said, Simon, Simon, Satan is asked specifically for you. He's going to sift you as wheat. I don't really know what sifting is, but it doesn't sound too fun. I mean, I use sift flour, I get, but when Satan says, I'm going to sift him as wheat, and he says, when you basically come back, restore the brothers. Why not just say, no, Satan, you can't do that. <laughs> Jesus, come on. 
But Peter's like, well, I'm, I'm willing to die for you. Yeah, okay. When you come back, we'll talk, have the conversation then. Amen. All right, so shovel size is crucial. Uh, point two, so here we go. It's, it's difficult to out-exercise a bad diet. I, 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 uh, when we moved here from Michigan five years ago, Dawn started running. And so she ran a half marathon, the, the, the Naperville half marathon. And somehow, some way, she convinced me that running was actually a good idea. And I started running with her. So we, from, to, to, we had, we'd, we'd go, we'd do like destination races, and it was fun. It was difficult. Half marathon's kind of manageable, though. Kind of. So we did like six half marathons, and I thought it was a great idea. Let's do a marathon. You, have, you, can, you can get really pure, strict, very specific plans on how to run a marathon. This day you run three miles on hills. This day you run three miles in sprints. This day you run like seven miles just however. And on the weekend you're going to run a long, long, long time. I'm talking long time. For me, because I'm not that fast, some of the long, it was like, oh my God, I could have watched The Lord of the Rings by now. <laughs> That's a long time. But what I didn't do was plan my eating. Half marathon is okay. But when you run like 17, 18, 19 miles, and that's not even the race yet, your body is just starving to death. And it's easy to say, oh, I just ran 20 miles. Of course I can eat this you know, sleeve of Girl Scout cookies. No problem. Wash it down with a half a gallon of Overweiss. This is no big deal. And then, you get, and, then you get, and then you get to like race day, you're thinking, I put on five pounds. How in the world did I put on five pounds when I ran like 75 miles a week? I didn't have a plan for my eating. A lot of times we don't have a plan for our money. The plans of the diligent lead sure to plenty. But those who are hasty, it leads to poverty. But money is a boss. Money has to be bossed around, Right? So it's easy to be, it's easy to like let expenses get out of control. It, 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 marketers are the smartest people on the planet, I'm convinced of it. Everyone's selling something. Everyone wants your money, and a lot of them do a really good job of getting it from you and from me, right? Paul, Paul talked about this in Philippians. I, Philippians 3, or 4, 4.13, I think is probably one of the most popular scriptures in the Bible, is that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, Right? But let's back it up a little bit and put it in the context of what he's talking about. I, I know how to be a base, not how to bound. I know how to be without food and have food. I'm okay when the paycheck's there and the paycheck's not. I'm okay when the electric bill went from 50 bucks to 300 because of air conditioning. I know how to be a base and how to abound. I know how to be okay when your real estate taxes increase every single year. I know how to base and how to abound. He says, I learned the secret to be content in all situations. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So we have to, it's very easy to be discontent. It's easy to look at somebody else and say, I want what they have. But but God's given us in Hebrews 12, he says, we all have a race that's set before us. We, we, comparing ourselves against each other is difficult to do, and it's really tragic to do that. So he's like, you have your lane, stay in it. If you watch the Kentucky Derby, you know it's important to stay in your lane. Because I, if I, even, even when, when Peter and John, the end, Peter's like, well, what about him? What did Jesus say? Mind your own business. Come on. I, don't worry about him. Worry about you. 
I, Tim, you got enough to keep you busy. You can't concern yourself with anybody else. You just march. And keep marching until I tell you to stop marching. Amen? So let's be content in all things. Let's be content. Let's, let's have a plan for our spending. Self-control is actually part of the fruit of the Spirit. Now that's probably shocking because it's the last one mentioned. We may not get that far. But, but self-control is. Gifts are actually just given to us. Have you ever seen someone who had a gift but had no character? You wonder, God, why is that, why is that even fair? He's like, because well, I'm God, you're not. Shut up. But, but we have to develop the fruit in our life. It, it, it's, 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 we got to practice telling ourselves no. Do I really need that? Is that really going really to advance, God, what you've told me to do if I have this or that or other thing? Why can't we ask God? Why can't we pray about it? Why can't we see, hey, God, what, what do you think about this? I, you know what? I think he answers prayers, right? He, he talks to us, right? He gives us, he gives us witness. And in Hebrews, I think it's 12, 11, it says no discipline is fun when it happens. Go back to the running. It's not fun running 19 miles. Especially when you get to the end and the race wasn't even there. He was going, ooh, you did a little flag going. And they had like a little orange stripe license for you. And they give you a participation medal. I like those participation medals when you run marathons, okay? So people are like, I don't like those medals. I didn't win it. I got, got the medal. I'm taking it. I paid 150 bucks for it, but that's okay. <laughs> no discipline seems fun when it's happening, but afterwards it produces good stuff, right? All right. Next point. Umbrellas are handy during a rainstorm. My, my grandparents would call a, a uh, so we covered earnings, we covered spending, now we cover savings. My, my grandparents would call that a rainy day fund. Right? So, so one time I, I travel for work and I go to Vegas way too many times a year. And, and so one time I was going and when you're carrying all this stuff, I don't ever check bags. I think checking bags is the worst thing in the world to do. So I carry stuff. I try to eliminate some of the weight. And one day I was like, I'm going to eliminate my umbrella. And of course my wife's like, why would you not take your umbrella? I go, I'm going to the desert. She's like, okay. Well, you know where the story's headed, right? So... Uh, yeah, I get there, and the, cab, the, the Uber driver's like, yeah, it's rained more in the last three days than it has like in the last five years. I'm like, don't tell my wife. <laughs> but, you know, I, they, they shuttle all these people that are in this, this trade show I go to. It's all these hotels, these commercial buses, and they drop you off about a half mile to the trade center. You have to walk. An umbrella would have been nice that day. It would have been nice that three days. <laughs> but it wasn't, because I didn't have, well, I could have, I guess I could have bought one, but, you know, that's a whole different story. But savings, if we don't spend it all, do, do, do emergencies happen in life? Do tires wear out? Do cars wear out? Do roofs need to be replaced? Do kids go to college? Do, there's a lot of stuff that we have to plan for, right? So, so rainy day fund, funds are a good idea to have. And, and so if, if Jesus is like, okay, let's, we covered your revenue. He came in to do this audit. Don't audit all your areas. I covered your, your revenue. Are you making enough money? Okay, maybe not. Well, let's fix it. Are you covered your spending. Maybe he looked at your check, check register, your, your bank account, and said, maybe we could fix some things here. He's like, okay, you didn't spend it all. Let's say, what, what are we going to save for? Let's, let's think about what's going on in the future. The future is going to happen, right, for most of us. Proverbs 21.20 says there's treasure Good treasure in a wise person's house, but a fool spends everything they get. 
foolskins, everything they get. 22.3 talks about a prudent person seeing danger and, and guarding themselves. But someone who's not wise just kind of closes their eyes and moves on. We all, we've all, most of us been around long enough to realize that there's going to be something we're planning for, something's going to happen in the future we're going to need money for. The option is to borrow the money. And I'm not going to get into that. That's a whole, whole sermon by itself, a whole, whole conversation by itself. But if we can delay pleasure, savings to me is like delaying pleasure, saying, I don't need this today, but I'm thinking, okay, my car is, has X amount of miles on it. How much should I save now so I can at least have a nice chunk to put down or pay the whole thing? My kid is five, and you guys, if anything happens in the edge, you guys know how to have kids, <laughs> right? You back to Quest, is full of kids. Those kids actually are not going to stay four, five, six, seven, eight years old forever. You blink, I know it's cliche, but you blink, they're in college, and college is more expensive than formula and diapers and first cars and prom <laughs> and braces. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Yeah, so let's, let's plan ahead, right? Let's go into investments. Magic eight balls are unreliable. I love the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. Because it talks about investing, but investing in the parable of the talents is not the primary message. Actually, Jesus starts talking in Matthew 24. He goes through three different parables, back to back to back. Repetition is good. We need it. The whole point of those parables is that we do not know when he's going to return. I think I read it once. It says he doesn't even know. The only God knows. God's a good secret keeper. So he, he tells the parable of the talents. He gives, he gives these servants bags of money, bags of gold. And it says trade until I return. Because you know what? Most of us, it's, it's funny how time goes by so fast. Most of us will get to a point in our life where we can no longer work for money. Our money has to work for us. And, and we don't know. People are living a long time now. I mean, when, they, when Social Security first came out, you know, the, the average person died at 65. <laughs> They're like, yeah, we're never going to pay Social Security. This is going to be easy. And now people are living to 80, 90, 100. And sometimes they can't. It's physically impossible for them to work. Right? So are we, are we going to... Allow our money to work for us. So, so Jesus, he gave it, said, do that. One had five, one had a couple, one had one. And, and they came back, and he's like, let's, let's, let's give an account of what you did. Again, this whole concept of let's, let's test where we are in this situation. And, and he said, I doubled, I, dub, dub, I doubled the master's money. He says, good, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in the joy of the Lord. Parable of mine is he gave him like cities to rule. Next one, same thing. I doubled the master's money. Same reward, because he gives it, to a, a, gives it to us according to our abilities. There's people in here who have much more ability than others, and God's, he's just. But the one that had one, all he had to do was get another one, but he said, I was afraid. I was afraid. The system's rigged. 
And Jesus, the master, wasn't happy. He called him unprofitable and worthless. That scares me. That's frightening. So we don't know when he's going to come back. None of us really know how long we're going to live. But we want to be in a position where we've taken the resources that God's given us, the, 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 the earning, we, we spend it appropriately, we save it appropriately, we invest it appropriately. So he, he can say, you know, I think you do a pretty good job. Well done. That's awesome, right? Wouldn't you want to hear that? Well done? Let's go to the last one. Giving. Like, oh, God, here it goes. He's saving He's going to bring out the hammer now. No, no. Luke 16, 9. So we talked about the parable of the, of the unjust steward. We started with Luke 16, 1 and 2. And the parable, the, 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 uh, the, the servant and the master, the servant was wicked, obviously. Because he didn't say, wait, give me a second chance. The first thing he did was go into like damage control mode. He's like, he's like giving discounts that really wasn't, he wasn't supposed to do. And so it's kind of weird. Sometimes I think, well, Jesus, was he actually admiring unethical behavior? No, he wasn't. But the actual owner was. He's like, well played. That's awesome how you did that. You, you really, so now that when you have no job because I'm going to fire you, you've, you've, you've actually blessed people and they're going to be friends with you now because you, you scratched their back, they're going to scratch yours. So the, so the unjust steward and his, the owner of that business, yeah, they were kind of both kind of eh, a little bit unethical. But Jesus says in the, in the ninth chapter, or ninth verse of 16, he's like, Oh, good, it's up there. I tell you. So here's Jesus talking. The story of the unjust steward ended. Now Jesus is talking to the disciples. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, one translation says when it fails, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. So the unjust steward was wasteful. But Jesus now is saying, this money that you're managing is my money. He's telling us to be lavish with it. He's giving us permission to be benevolent. He's giving us permission to be giving. And he's saying, when you do, he's making the comparison here, when you do, because guess what? Money will fail. Our money is no good in heaven. It says, wealth and riches profit not in the day of wrath or the day of judgment. When you do, you're making friends. Now, that sounds kind of weird. How, make, am I buying people? But how does this work? This is getting crazy. No. When we get to heaven, eternal dwellings, when we get to heaven, did our resources help someone else get to heaven? Or... Do we just buy depreciable assets with it? It's a question we'll have to ask ourselves. So those of you who remember last, the trip to Haiti, a group of uh, 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 Dave and Adrian and Neil and some other people went, went to Haiti, and there was a young boy who almost got his leg torn off, and Hillary sent out this, this email blast that we need money for an emergency surgery, and people like, it was like the money was raised in like no time at all. You have a friend in heaven that you've never met before. When you get to heaven, brush up on your Creole. Because there's going to be a little boy that's going to want to meet you. Make, 
in, in the movie, the, the, in the, in the movie uh, Gladiator, General Maximus was, a, was talking to his troops. They were getting ready to invade Germania. It was his last battle. He was happy. He was going home. And he told them, what you do in life echoes to eternity. And I want to add a little thing that what we do in life does, but what we give in this life echoes through eternity. We can make friends of unrighteous mammon, and, and we can have dwelling people who, who we've never met in our lives. You sent Bibles to Cambodia to our missionary friends. Someone has a Bible because you gave a dollar. If you've ever been to a third world country before, it's amazing. I was in Cuba before you're supposed to go to Cuba. Actually, I'm banned from Cuba. It's awesome. Different story. I went when you weren't supposed to go. Yeah, it was, it was yeah. Anyway, but we, we would bring like these little books or Bibles. They would tear the page out of the Bible and share it. Like, who got John 3.16? That's all I want to know. I got Obadiah. Are you kidding me? What a ripoff. Oh, yeah, Obadiah is the best ever. Make friends of yourself of unrighteous mammon. So, so when you're giving, think about it. Think, let's think eternally. Let's think eternally. We, we have some, some of my cousins, their kids are now growing up, and they're going on mission trips. And we have one of our, my cousin's kids going to Moldova this year, one going to Cambodia this year. You know what? If I gave a dollar, guess what? I get credit. There's a story. I'll give you, that's crazy. Well, you didn't go. No, I didn't. There's a story in 1 Samuel 30 where David, because David was the warrior king, they were, in, they were in Ziklag, had a camp there, and they went out to fight. And when the warriors were gone, the Amalekites came into the camp and burned it with fire. And they kidnapped everybody who was left behind. And he came back. And he saw it was burned with fire. He saw that the people were gone. His kids and his wives, <laughs> they, were, they were all gone. And he came back, and the soldiers talked to stoning him. Be careful if you want to be a leader. There's a price to pay. They, they wanted to stone him. And they said they cried until they could not cry anymore. Been there before? Just, there's no more tears. And he encouraged himself in the Lord. Bring me the ephod. He encouraged himself in the Lord. And they went out. And he says, God, what should we do? He says, go and recover it all. And they went and they recovered it all. And when they came back, some of the warriors were like, well, they didn't fight. They stayed by the stuff. And David said, here's a statute forever. If you go or you stay by the stuff, you get the same reward. I've heard it said this way, talking about missionary work. Some go, some stay and pray, some pay the way. Make friends with your unrighteous wealth so when you go to heaven, it, your, your money's failed, but you have people there who want to meet you that you never met before. Right, if the van would come up, please. I'm going to wind this thing down. So what are we giving? In 1 Corinthians 16, Paul tells us to give in accordance to our wealth, to give in accordance to your income. Guess what? We can't give what we don't have. Guess what? Here's a spoiler alert. God knows. He knows what you have. He knows what you don't have. Don't ever feel con condemned because you want to give more. Some of the biggest giving ever is the smallest gift. 
because maybe your gift was answered prayer. And the story Brandy told a while ago about the gift card at Target. It wasn't for the guy that was homeless. It was for the guy working at Target to see someone was still kind. It's like 25 bucks. It didn't, it didn't wreck their, their budget, but it may have changed that guy's life forever. So give according to your income. Giving is an act of grace. I was always taught as a kid, giving was an act of faith. If I had more faith, I could give more. As I get older and older, I realize that's probably not as true as I thought when I was younger. It's an act of grace because guess what? Me and my person, me and my sinful nature, me and, you know, Mr. Hyde, part of me doesn't want to give. But God's grace upon me and say, I, I, I want to be like Oscar, Oscar Schindler, where I'm at the end and I'm thinking, why did I keep this watch? This car was useless. I could have saved five more people. God help me to have that grace in my life. Maybe you're at a point now where your money's all tied up in bondage and you're like, I, I just, I, I wish I could. I'm gonna get, I wanna leave you with an encouraging scripture, okay? Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah, there was a situation where he, he, they're, they're talking about doing something there was a mountain in the way. And for, if you guys have, I was raised in a Pentecostal church. We do like Pentecostal gospel songs. Not by might, not by power, but my spirit, says the Lord. Was that, I didn't realize that was actual scripture. I was like, Wait, we're, we're actually singing scriptures. This is pretty cool. I thought we were just crazy, you know, but no, well, we were, but still. He said, he, in Zechariah, Zerubbabel's talking. He goes, mountain, you're in the way. Giving's grace, right? Let's the grace of giving. He said, he'll make all grace abound towards you that you have sufficiency in all things, that you have abundance for every good work. It's an act of grace. And Zerubbabel was like, mountain, I see you're in the way, but I'm going to shout grace, grace to it. Mountain, you're going to come down. So maybe you have a mountain of debt in your life right now that's hindering you from giving and freely giving. I want you to just think about that and say, read, read Zechariah 4, 6 and 7, and say, speak to that mountain and I, with, with shouts to the capstone, Mountain, you shall be made of plain with great shouts of grace, grace towards it. Amen? I'm going to leave you with one little verse. Thank you for your time and your attention. I assume you guys are like still awake, but I can't tell because I can only see Jasmine and, and, and Lauren. That's it. So. <laughs> now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Thank you.